Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Author News Weekly, your weekly edition of the news that we overthink so you don't have to. I don't know if came up with that little saying. I don't know if you guys like it, but I feel like a lot of authors out there are overthinking the news and spending so much brain space on this stuff that I thought just taking that off of their hands and letting them use their hands to get back to writing would be like, what a blessing. Like we really, are nothing if not altruistic. We're really a public service when you we think are. about it. Exactly. <laughs> we should be funded. We should probably have some grants. Definitely. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. How about Grant Faulkner? When NaNoWriMo's coming up, like, I'd be a good grant. Okay. Anyhow. <laughs> welcome to Author News Weekly. I'm Roland Denzel, indestructible author. With me is Jim Heskett, Pippa Werner, and Nick Thacker. And we are going to start breaking down some news. Let's start with one, one of my favorites, Christine Catherine Rush. She and her husband, what's his name, Dean right? Dean Wesley Smith. Yeah. Did I get that right? Dean Wesley Smith. They are, they're a font of wisdom. They know so much. They have so much experience. And so I always like to read, especially Chris's blog. And she has a business blog for authors. And this week she talked about what, why authors fail. And, and what do you guys think about this article? Love it. Do you? I do. Yeah, her con- her contention is that authors quit before they 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 give up too soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's huge, right? You just got to keep showing up. If you enjoy the writing, mm-hmm. to keep showing up. There's a lot of easier things to do than writing. So if you like some part of the process and you want to keep being here, like you're just not going to know what's going to hit and what isn't. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. How about you, Jim? In the article, it references Jeep commercial songwriter John Cougar Mellencamp, uh, where he talks about his <laughs> 100. He's, uh, I got to write 100 songs to get a good one. And that's basically Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours. It's yeah. the same thing. And we didn't, we, don't get, we didn't get to see the part where Charles Dickens and Beethoven banged their head against the walls and said, I'm a hack. We didn't get to see that. We just get to see the historical result of their work. And I think non-creative people look at creative endeavors as like a force of nature or an act of God. But the big secret you learn when you make things is that you learn that creativity is not, it's a muscle. It's not like an act of God. It's not intervention. It's not something that happens to us. It's something that we can do and practice and get better at. But it's why it's, it just seems so mysterious to non-creatives. That's why somebody hearing John Cougar Mellencamp threw away a hundred songs. Oh no, we'll never get to hear them. I don't know. Some of those hundred are on his albums. <laughs> just, yeah. They're just not the greatest. Probably. Yeah. Or they might be like your favorite song and just. Yeah. yeah. Like he doesn't really go into a lot of quoting him. So he doesn't really go into a lot of detail in the, what she has quoted, but maybe, maybe he means those are his hits. Like one out of a hundred is a hit versus like maybe one out of 50 or one out of 20 is makes it on the album and it's still a good song. We don't know, but the reality is you have to write a lot of things or create a lot of things to find, to make a thing that really takes off or is really a hit. 
And it could be that one of those ones that was a complete failure and would not have worked as a song gave him a technique that he later used in other hit songs. Like, you can't even just evaluate things as good or bad. You're learning other things via the process. That's true. That's true. Nick, you're strangely silent. Not strangely, but you're silent. Yeah, no, I'm usually not one to be dumbfounded. (laughs) I I don't know how to really put it, but there's something nagging at me about this whole thing that I think Chris doesn't mention in the article. I don't know that she would agree. I don't know that she would disagree necessarily, but I think it's important to point out, this is my opinion, okay? Not every writer (laughs) deserves to be, like, to make it. Like, not every art is just good because somebody created it. There's not inherent Stop looking value. at me when you say this. <laughs> I'm looking directly at Roland's little box on my StreamYard screen. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone listening to this show is going to probably fall into this category because, you know, they're, if they've scoured the interweb and come to the very end and had nothing else better to do than listen to this show, they're probably a pretty, pretty experienced writer. Let's just put it that way. But not everybody gets to write books, right? Maybe not everybody should write books. So maybe there's a cohort of writers that probably just do need to quit and do something else. And I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be mean, but I think that the the, the truth of the matter is not everyone's going to be successful. And the reason not everyone's going to be successful isn't just that there's not necessarily enough room for everybody to be successful. Does that make sense? Like the reason somebody isn't selling very well on Amazon isn't because Amazon hates them necessarily. That could be true. There could be some... (laughs) algorithmic stuff happening where Amazon's just not letting them succeed because of one thing or another, you know, the, but after 10 years of it or five years of it, maybe seven years of it, and you haven't quite made it and you've been releasing books, maybe your books aren't that good. Maybe you're just not a good writer. I think we don't, as writers, we don't often look inward at that. We're always looking for marketing to be the answer. We're always saying, okay, clearly I'm the best writer on the planet. So it's obviously my marketing that's missing. And I don't think anybody would ever say that out loud and admit that. But I think running a publishing company now, let's just put it this way. I'm not, I'm coming with some empirical evidence here. A lot of these writers that submit stuff to me think their shit don't stink and their shit smells really bad and uh, and it's not very good. And there's some aspects of it that can be fixed. And there's just a lot of it that they're just not good artists in my opinion. And I wouldn't publish them because I'm like, I don't think anyone else is going to like this. There's some very clear things that are wrong with it that can't be fixed very easily. So I don't know. That's my, that's where I was going when I was reading this whole thing. I'm like, yeah, that's true. I studied music in school. And so I, I really resonate with the whole 10,000 hours thing. There's all these science scientists, you have to put that in quotes now that have tried to debunk the whole 10,000 hours thing. I think it's all bullshit. I think it makes a lot. What Malcolm Gladwell saying is if you practice, you'll get better. But there's people who get better and they practice for 10 years and they're just not that good. It just doesn't click. They got as good as they're going to get maybe. Yeah, they got as good as they're going to get. And no one's going to pay them to hear them play violin. Sorry, you're not Joshua Bell. That's just the way it is. how writing can be as well too. Go ahead, Pippa. I'm sorry. Nope. Uh, I think I may have cut off Jim. I think there's also something to be said for, so my ballet teachers used to say in between the parts where they whacked us with sticks, practice makes permanent. It doesn't make perfect. So you can spend 10,000 hours banging away on a keyboard, but if you're not reflecting about it, you're not trying to get better. You're not trying to really zero in. Those 10,000 hours are not going to do very much for you. And I think there's also this, 
fallacy around creativity where you're like, oh, because it's creative, it's an inherently perfect. Like it, it really isn't though. <laughs> like you, right. it often takes me three or four chapters into a book to realize, oh, okay, I really needed to start somewhere else. And it's not that those that almost every, all my early books I read back through and I'm like, what am I doing for the first four? And I love reading people's first books. They're so fiery. They're so, how you doing, Nick? Everything just went dark. Nick just lost his power. (laughs) (laughs) First books are full of so much passion, but often there's just these really big issues because it, whatever hadn't clicked in someone's head. Certainly my first novel was absolutely that way. And then, each novel since then, there's been something I've looked back on and been like, oh, wow, look at that giant glaring issue. If you do your 10,000, I think the 10,000 hours is a concept. Like, not like our, it's weird when people get like really strict about the 10,999. Yeah, like 9, yeah. so sometime this okay. week, I'm going to become an expert. I know. Or the same <laughs> thing with the million words. Like, people like yeah. throw around a million words as soon as you've written a million, if you haven't written a million words, you're not like a really good author yet. But whether it's 10,000 hours or whether it's a million words, if you do them in a vacuum without feedback and also the willingness to take that feedback and build on it to try to become better. So it's intention. So you're doing 10,000 hours or a million words with intention, then you can get better, but you still may be limited by your talent. So can we like make this really scientific, hard and fast rule that like people can quote us on? Yes. Let's come up with it. Let's say, okay, if you've released at least one book per year for 10 years, You've written a million words, and you aren't making over five. Sounds like you're going in a positive way, but it's going to end up with a pushed off (laughs) a cliff. You need to quit. (laughs) (laughs) Like we, there's no hope for you. Like at that point, right? I'm not going to help you. It's not about Facebook. You're not going to figure out what Facebook ad demographic to target that's going to all of a sudden rocket you to stardom. Like there should be some rule that we can equally apply. Like the positive side that would be the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. And it's, like, it's always misapplied as an accurate number. Let's take a number that people can misapply as an accurate number and say, you should quit after X. I would just like point out that when Nick, when Nick said you can quote us, Nick meant you can quote us like the royal we. I, mean, quote I did. I meant the royal we. Specifically, I want people to hear me as Jim Heskett saying, <laughs> hey. once you get to 10,000 hours and you still suck, you're not going to get any better. You're not going to get less sucky. You've, you've just it like doubled down on the suckiness. And now it's so inherent habitual that you suck that there's just not no way to get out of the rut. Now I'm mostly being tongue in cheek, but mostly. Yeah. But so I have one thing I heard Pippa screaming to want to say something, but before I do, like there is somewhere along the way, if you feel like you've been put in a lot of work and you're still not making the traction, pay somebody who's an expert, who who is not your friend, who's not your relative, and who who can give you like an outsider's opinion of your work and tell you like whether like what you can work on or what you know or and maybe maybe you're going to get bad news, but maybe you're going to get good news because you're going to have something specific that you can work on, classes you can take, workshops you can go to, critique groups you can you may have skipped a step that you're not even aware of. So definitely don't continue on. I tell this to my health coaching clients all the time. If you've been on the same diet, you counting calories for a year or months or whatever, and you haven't lost any weight, you know, 
you have to ask me. You have to reach out to somebody and say, what am I doing? What can I do differently that's going to give me the results that I want? You can't just keep going and hoping for the best because some formula says that's what you need to do. Yeah. You can quote me on that part. (laughs) And as we see from this article, she's talking about making it last year. She'd done an experiment about doing a thousand words a day. And she'd found out that didn't really work for her. She kept the write every day thing, but she abandoned the 1,000 words because she found it hindered her. The point is, she has this incredible career behind her. She's still innovating. She's still trying new things. And so that's one of the huge things about the 10,000 hours. You don't do the exact same thing for 10,000 hours. You develop your toolbox. Good. It's a good quote for for Pippa. (laughs) Jim, you got to be wise now. I was just thinking as we were discussing this, I was thinking about when I used to write poetry, there was a good Mm. decade of my life from my mid-teens to mid-20s where I wrote lots and lots of poems. Probably in that 10-year span, I probably wrote a thousand poems. But there was something, there was somehow in my brain, I had decided that you can't revise a poem, that it's supposed to Mm. go on the page and if it's perfect, and if it's not, it's just a bad poem. So I know them. (laughs) <laughs> I never went back and revised any of my poems. And in that 10 years, I wrote probably two or three that were good <laughs> because they were accidentally good. They were, <laughs> some of those thousand, I probably could have reworked and improved and made them good. And then I would have grown as a poet, but I never really did. I never grew because I never questioned my method. It's like Pippa was talking about. I never questioned my method. I never learned from my mistakes. I just kept trying to spit out words till I got the perfect poem and it never happened. I know you as Jim, the poet Heskett. So I think at some point, one of them stuck. (laughs) Am I famous as a poet and I don't even know it? I think, didn't I see you and William Zabka in a poetry, poetry reading? Actually, I'm Seamus Haney. That's one of my pen names. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) Okay. To bring it back to what Kristen, Christine Catherine Rush said, the there's still a contingent of authors that do quit too early. And, but a lot of times it's because in my opinion, they look at what everyone else like on, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram is doing the successes they make or they're having. And they're saying, this guy did all these things and he's doing great. This woman did all these things and she's doing great. I've done those things too. And like, nothing i'm just not taken off but what we don't know is all the things that person is doing behind the scenes and we don't know what kind of luck that person had we don't know what the level of skill that person had they could be writing in a different genre they could be writing from a different point of view there's so many variables there that it's just impossible to directly compare yourself to somebody you can use these people as inspiration but at some point you have to take a like again you have to go to somebody you either have to be so self-aware that you can say what am i doing wrong where can i make a change where can i experiment where can i try to innovate or you have to get some sort of an outsider to to help you like a book consultant i don't know if any of you do that kind of thing but like mark lefave kevin tomlinson they both look at you and like my friend chris kirsten oliphant they all well you can pay them 
to get a coaching session and they will look at your catalog. They will read some of your book, a little bit of you know, your text mm-hmm. and kind of give you an opinion of where things are going. And a lot of times they can give you a really good pointer in the right direction that's going to re-energize you and reinvigorate you, whatever dramatic term you want to use, but it's going to get you to where maybe you're not going to quit before, before, you, before it's time. And not everything has to be a money-making endeavor. Or a, there's a ton of crafts and art that I do that I absolutely do not do for the results. And if I were doing them for the results, I'd be very disappointed. But it's, just, it's fun. It re-energizes me. You're not trying to make knitting a second career? I am not. <clears throat> or painting, really, is the <laughs> one that I shouldn't go into. But... <laughs> Oh yeah, we all have things. And it's interesting because a lot of, we have a lot of, we probably all have artist friends, somebody who's a painter and very few painters think, oh, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to, they want, they would love to make it big. But a lot of people like my mom paints, she just paints in a room. It's like, she barely shows anybody. She paints for herself. She likes to do it. And then she, sometimes she gives them away to her friends and, but she has, she's never had any, like that was never her goal. She was a librarian and that was what she loved. All right. We've stymied you all. I've stymied you all. You're stymied. You are stymied. We overthought this one. Yes. We've really overthought this stuff. We brought in all sorts of other aspects. Let's go on to something that's a little more tangible, something you can feel and touch, literally in this case, print books. And um, our print books... Most of us, we're all indie authors. I think a couple of us have some traditional stuff, but for the by and large, ebooks are what I make most of my author money from. Probably you as well. But print books, as a nonfiction author, print books still play a part in my business because a lot of people want health and fitness books in print. But are print books important to your success? And if so, how do you use them to generate sales? Because this article had a lot of great ideas. And some from Nick. Maybe Nick hasn't read the article, but it's like, you're quoted in there several times. Nick, did you know you wrote this article? I, it's vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah, I remember when Lexi was asking me about some of these tactics. It's funny because I'd never really ever put down these thoughts to pay, to paper, to screen uh, in a succinct way. And for me, print books like you, Roland, were just, are, I guess, still this, this also ran kind of thing where, hey, buy the book. And for you weirdos that like, don't know what an ebook is, you can buy the print copy. And it was always this icing on the cake for royalties. And so I had to think about these. I gave her three. I asked her how many she wanted and I limited it to three. And so I think these are good, but I don't know that they're things that I've got a ton of experience doing, which is funny. So these are things that I've seen people do with some success. Mm -hmm. I just did a book signing with a lowly writer no one's probably heard of named Kevin J. Anderson, which was Mm -hmm. fun. Uh, And he is, he's a master of this. He sells print books in person. He does a lot of separate print advertising um, that has nothing to do with the ebook other than it's the same book. And then I've seen people do a lot of like social media posts with, their book is like a prop, like they go pose with it. And so those were the three that came to mind right away. But again, I don't really sell a lot of print books. So this would be what I would give the advice I'd give to myself. If I was like, Hey, this year, I'm going to focus on print books. I would do these three things first. Jim, 
print books are a very small part of my business. They're almost not worth it. The main, still, as far as I can see, the main reason to have a print book is to make your ebook price look more attractive by comparison on Amazon. That's that hasn't changed. That's been a solid, that's been a solid author hack for the last several years. But last weekend, I was interviewed on a on an author podcast, and they asked me about one of my books, and I was able to reach over to the shelf and grab it and hold it up, and that's pretty cool. That's worth the fifteen bucks or whatever it costs to to have it shipped here so that I can actually hold this up and say, oh, this book? Yeah, talk about this, blah, blah. It's way better than, I don't know, like trying to hold on my iPad or something. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't ever work out very well. But in terms of selling them, I don't do a lot of in-person selling or that kind of stuff. So there, I sell way more audiobooks than I do print books. Oh, wow. Pip? Nothing to add. They've covered everything. <laughs> right. Like Nick in this regard, and also like Jim, like I first, obviously with for a nonfiction author, I needed, I started with the idea of print. I formatted my book in print first and then made an ebook out of it at the same time. So like I even, when I write a lot of my nonfiction, I even write in Word, formatted the way a print book would look so I can visualize how it's coming out as I write it. And so it's pretty easy for me so I would never tell somebody that it's super easy to make a print book, but it is getting easier. And I do think it's worth it for every author to have a print version because it does what Jim says. It sets like a higher price so you can get the cheaper one. You can see because Amazon even does that cool thing. If you haven't looked, if you go to the ebook, it's crossed out. It says the print price is this crossed out and it says you can get the ebook price ebook for this. So it looks like a good savings. But the other thing is that like people... I'm not, I'm going to use air quotes and say real authors have both, right? So if people are looking for, if people have a problem with indie authors and they go there and you only have an ebook, or if they're going to, they're going to say, that's weird, he's probably an indie author. So you've immediately lost it. It doesn't look as professional if you just have the one. It may be fine when the book is on pre-order, things like that, because people expect, oh, things are still rolling out. So it's not a big deal. So you don't necessarily have to come out with it at the exact same time, but it does help to have both to look more professional. And on the flip side, there's, I still see many authors that say, hey, I'm working on my book. I'm still not convinced I should do an ebook. And like, I'm like, wow, like, I can't believe like in this day and age, like they're coming from the other direction in their mind, real books are print books. So I don't know whether I should do an ebook because they read some article where traditional publishing says ebooks don't sell, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to go in the other, on the, in the other direction. But once I have the ebooks, even though a lot of people want them for nonfiction, I still sell mostly, I'm sorry, once I have the print book, I still sell mostly ebooks, but I usually order a few of them of each one. And I do periodic giveaways for my new, because that's like more valuable to a lot of people to get a, to win a paperback copy instead of an ebook copy. So I'll do use King Sumo or something to do giveaways. And that's one of the a print copy is a great one to do it. Sometimes if there's somebody famous in my niche that might review my book, or I want to share it. Sometimes I will send them a physical copy because they might value that more, especially in the traditional, if they're used to dealing with traditionally published authors. So just having a few of them around is, is good. But also like Nick said, it's, it, they just look so much better on Instagram or in, in, Instatalk, Instatalk, Facebook, <laughs> if you're holding one or if you send them to somebody. One of the best ways that I sold eBooks last year was by sending an influencer a print book. They held up the print book 
in a selfie on Instagram and with a link to my website where the book page was and a whole bunch of people bought the ebook. But I don't know that they would have done that if the person held up their Kindle. Yeah. Yeah, so I still think there's a, so I definitely recommend you read this article. It's there's a lot of good ideas about how to do it. One of the things that I've seen and Nick, I'd like your opinion because you mentioned advertising print books differently and I see this a lot in Facebook groups. Should I send ads directly to my print book or direct uh, different ads directly to my print book? And then, but a lot of people will say, why bother? Because it's one page and you're just clicking which version you have. So what are the advantages of click of sending an ad specifically to a print book? So for me, the advantage is always data, just being able to determine with actual data um, whether or not an ad is working well or not. So I guess what the long and short of it is, it depends, but without the data of running, I'll call a clean ad. So like an ad that just goes to the Kindle version versus an ad that just goes to the print version. I have found for some of my older books that didn't, have the book package together for the print version for whatever reason. Maybe it was an old cover or it was priced too high. I wasn't ever able to gain traction on ads directly to the print copy. But I know people that do, that they sell a ton of, from Facebook ads, they sell a ton of print books and they're linking directly to the print page. And it's about the number of clicks, I think, where people get to the page and they're like, okay, this is Kindle. Let me just click over to the print version. All of a sudden they're met with two different versions of the print copy Oh, there's used ones here. So it's, if you just send them directly to what you want them to buy, they can buy it. And often they will rather mm-hmm. than clicking around. So I think that's the benefit. But ultimately, it comes down to data. It comes down to just trying it. And you won't get that data. What I'm saying is you won't get that data unless you run two clean ads, one to the print version, one to the Kindle version. Same thing with audiobook. If you want to test the audio, that kind of thing. Can't do it by just saying, yep, I'm sending everybody there. And I, you'll make some sales that way of your audio and print. But it won't be as clean. I think that's the thing. We can't tell you if your print books are going to work. You need to figure out if you're selling print books, if you're someone who has, you really like selling print books at shows or you like, there's all sorts of stuff that we don't know about you. Tell them if they should not do it or not. <laughs> if they've been writing for 10 years, made 10,000 hours and they don't make more than $500 a month, then they should quit. Yeah. I'm not even going to go into whether they should print at shows because most people should not, not print at shows, but sell at shows because most people from a profit and, perspective, for yes, sure. unless they not love yet. it, unless they love it, because usually if you do the math on how much the book is, the shipping, all that kind of stuff yeah. and how much your time is, right? It's clearly almost never worth it. So I had a guy, a good friend of mine, Todd Fonestock. Fonestock, He's a great writer. He's here in town or around this area. And I actually called him and he came to my house and did a presentation for just me and Emily, me and my wife on, and he's a master of trade shows. He's written a book about it. How many books did you buy? I I bought none of his (laughs) books. So that just proved your point that it was just (laughs) for him to come up. No, but I was trying to figure out the answer to that question. I'm like, I don't really love Going to, I love going to trade shows. I don't want to be the guy behind the table. So is it worth it for me to go? Because the only reason I would want to go is to make money. And he was pretty adamant. He was like, no, it's generally not worth it. I'll make $50 in profit after doing this whole thing. I've printed all these banners and I drive down there and there's gas and there's costs and shipping and all that. I may walk out with $50 and that's after selling 200 books over a weekend. And so he made it very clear that he's, and I'm an expert in this field. 
and I'm not making a killing doing this. It's just a way, it's fun for me. It's a way of getting my name out there and long-term branding and all that. That's all true, but yeah, I don't think it's something that we should be doing as like a primary revenue driver. That time yeah. is much better spent writing books. And if you've written 10,000 hours of books, <laughs> what I just... want everybody listening to here is just probably just quit. Just go ahead and quit. It's going to make more room for me in the market, which I appreciate. So I think Becca Syme has a book. Dear author, just quit or something like that. Yeah. Like maybe. Uh, yeah. She has the whole clip. The I clip. haven't read it, but I'm sure that's what it's, but it, she means. Yeah. That sounds. <laughs> yeah. I think it is. It's a whole book. It's a sales pitch to just quit. Quit your yeah. author career. Yeah. We could probably have a whole show about, we have practically had a whole show about um, whether you should quit or whether you should not. And I don't think most people should quit. I think I you do. should. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you have doesn't mean that everyone else should. To be clear. You've given up. Let me say you've given up. That's not the same as quitting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just want people to feel comfortable quitting because, you know, I think it's a great great move for your writer career. If you're asking the question, should I quit? Yes. That's the answer is yes. If you have to ask. I will say that I have done several book signings, book events, gone to like a holiday market kind of a thing with its mm-hmm. and had a table and they were fun and I did make some super fans that are with me to this day. So there can be, let's call them soft dollar benefits to this also, but I'm also a nonfiction author. I do coaching based on what's in my books. So I've made some clients based on that too. So like you can put that into the, into the figures as well. But by and large, when we go there, it's for fun, and it uh, we use our we sell a couple of print books, but you know, in some ways you might as well just give them away. Like I wouldn't give them away to everyone because then everyone will want one. But like you're not there to make money; you're there to make a super fan. You're there maybe to sell your first book, so they're going to buy your second book, etc. But if you're going to, but it's just it is good one 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 good way to use print, and um, one of this one of the ten great ways to use print in this article by Draft Digital. <laughs> We have rambled over thoughts and beaten beaten a dead horse, beaten this the death, right? Anyone have anything to add before we, we wrap up? Let's leave somebody on a high note. Nick, you want to think about it? It's going to take me some time, yeah. I'm not used to positivity in the morning. <laughs> Jim, you're always positive. What do you have to say to inspire uh, somebody? What I would have to say after everything that we've said in this episode is that it's okay to write for love. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay if you don't care about making a career. If you go share that in a Facebook group, people will bully you and say that you've got your priorities all messed up, but it's still okay anyway. If you don't if you don't care about writing to market, if you don't care about making money, if you don't care about any of that and you just want to put words on paper and be proud of it, that's all right. I agree. But but if you're calling yourself an author and you want a career out of this and it hasn't happened yet after about 10,000 hours of doing it, it's okay to quit. How's that for positivity? It's okay. I'll be happy if you quit. That's positive. Yeah. Or it's okay to change your tactic and start writing for love again. Yeah. Yes. Write for love. That's right. Pippa? Oh, man. Have fun with it. Yeah. Seriously, if you're not having fun with it, if you're not enjoying some part of the process, what's the point? Like, there are easier things to do if you hate them. <laughs> That's so true. 
That's very true. That's very true. Interesting. One of the things that, that when Jim said, if you posted it in an author group, it's interesting if you post it in your local author group for, let's say, like Colorado authors or Colorado writers or where I came from in Southern California, the Orange County Writers Group. If you post that there, they will be all for it because they mostly want to write for love and for the art and things like that. It's not, it's until you go out and do the wilds of these more professional author Facebook groups that you might get the negatives on that. So I think there's something to be said for definitely writing for the love of it, writing what you love and getting some enjoyment out of it. And if you're, and if you're not, if you're miserable and you're always wondering why me, then you might want to rethink why you're writing in the first place. But if you love writing, definitely keep writing. Just find a way to do it that makes you happy. Kumbaya. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me this week. want to go around the room and let us know how we can find you. Our wonderful listeners can find you online. Nick? Google me. I'm on the line. On the line. Excellent. I, too, am on the Weber tubes. It was <laughs> Moira Katzen, not... <laughs> Moira Katzen. Excellent. My name is Jim Heskett, and based on the weather outside, you can probably find me under a bunch of snow. Oh, wow. Dude, it got cold. <laughs> it did get cold. Winter has come to Colorado winter, today. Winter is here. I'm Roland Denzel. You can find me at indestructibleauthor.com. And I live somewhat near Jim, and I see snow coming down, but it's not sticking. I feel good about it. But it's still cold, so I'm going to put on my jacket. Maybe go for a walk. And then come back and do some writing. Okay, Have a great day, everybody. What's that? It's okay to quit those. That's true, but I need to get a couple more hours. I'm almost to 10,000. <laughs> and then he'll be an expert. So then, boom. boom. Yeah. It's all going to happen. Mm. All right. Join us next week for Author News Weekly, where we rethink the uh, We overthink. Well, we might rethink it, too, but overthink the author news so you don't have to. Have a great day. Peace. Have a great week. Bye.